Welcome to Towards Significance. This is a ministry designed to help people make the most of their opportunities as they build lives that make a difference, lives that lead towards significance. In this episode, we want to think about something that is not optional. People like options. They like choices. Think about the options of breakfast cereals. Think about the options of TV shows. Think about the options of toothpaste. Cars come with various options. When choosing a car, you might choose one with a sunroof. You might choose one with sportier tires. You might choose one with a killer sound system. You can choose from a myriad of options. But you would never choose a car without an engine. Cars need engines to go. Sure, you could get a car without an engine and just sit in it, but it wouldn't get you anywhere, at least not very well. That's true of the Christian faith and congregational life. Sure, in a technical sense, you can be a follower of Jesus without being part of a congregation. The Bible is clear. We're saved by grace through faith without works. Ephesians 2, 8 and 9. But to be a Christian without a congregation is like having a car without an engine. Certainly, congregational life is fraught with all sorts of challenges and shortcomings. You'll find silliness and ineptitude. Often, it does not run like a well-oiled machine. Remember, every congregation consists of sinners, forgiven though they may be. But none of that makes congregational life optional. Rather, all of that makes this chapter even more vital. There are many options in the Christian faith, hymns, songs, liturgies, Bible translation, this denomination, or that one. But the congregational life itself is no more optional than a car without an engine. Congregational life drives Christians forward on the path towards significance. Part 1 on Christians and their congregations. The church is incurably congregational. Whenever God calls people to faith in Jesus, he calls them into congregations. The idea that I can follow Jesus all by myself and worship him all by myself in a field may represent rugged American individualism, but it does not reflect either biblical teaching or historical Christian living. Christians gather together in congregations. Dan Kimball wrote a book, They Like Jesus But Not the Church. Barna publishes statistics about the demise of the church and its congregations in America. Newspapers report abandoned church buildings repurposed as brew pubs. Christians gather together in congregations. Paul concluded his letter to the Church of God in Corinth by writing, The churches of Asia send you greeting. Aquila and Prisca, together with the church in their house, send you hearty greetings in the Lord. 1 Corinthians 16, verse 19. The writer of Hebrews warned Christians not to neglect meeting together, as some are in the habit, but to encourage one another, and all the more as you see the day approaching. Hebrews 10, verse 25. Christians gather together in congregations. 
Parachurch organizations are fine. Preachers online or on TV or on the radio serve a purpose. Personal, private devotions and prayer are essential. But it is within the community of a local Christian congregation that God is at work through the word and sacraments to draw, gather, enlighten, equip, and send his kingdom people. We gather for worship, encouragement, admonition, and service. We gather as a foretaste of the kingdom to come. Christians gather together in congregations. Plan to live out your Christian life within the context of a local congregation. Keep in mind the following four things. First, your congregation will not be perfect. Like a family, as long as it's comprised of sinners, there will be problems. Do not expect more of a congregation and its pastor than is possible. Work within your congregation to make it a center of love and forgiveness. Two, you must be present to experience the blessings God has in mind for his people. You have heard it said, you must be present to win. Haphazard attendance and involvement at your local congregation will lead to dissatisfaction. Like all other relationships, you will not experience quality time without quantity time. Three, a good local congregation takes work. Indeed, the kingdom is about grace. God saved us by his grace, but God worked hard at grace. A local congregation is a grace place, but to be such takes work. Be prepared to volunteer and serve. There are no bench warmers in the kingdom. And four, avoid church shopping and hopping. Yes, you can find a better congregation. When you sit down for a Thanksgiving meal with your family, certainly there is a better meal available in another house somewhere in the neighborhood. But that meal would not be with your family. And the point of the meal centers on the gathering of the family not the culinary excellencies. Christians gather in congregations. We live in a time of change. We should keep in mind that that is always the case. Things have always changed. The pace of change today may be a little faster, but the reality of change has not changed. Within the change, there are certain things that don't. People need oxygen to live. Nutrition and eating are connected. The sky is blue. The sun is warm. The church is incurably congregational. Christians gather in congregations. Part 2 on Congregations and Synods Not only is the church incurably congregational, it is also incurably synodical. Okay, that sounds odd. Synodical? That sounds like a made-up word. Actually, it's an ancient word. At least the root word is synod. Synod means walking on the same road. Like sin, when you think of symphony, lots of sounds at the same time. And Odysseus on the Odyssey, Ode, and his travels. Synod, on the same road. The word has come to be associated with a group of congregations. For instance, my congregation is part of the Lutheran Church 
Missouri Synod. It is important, helpful, historical, and biblical for congregations to be connected with other congregations. Being part of a church body, a synod, connects your congregation with other like-minded congregations, congregations who are on the same road. Like a McDonald's or a Starbucks, you can go into any one of the other congregations that are part of your synod or church body and have largely the same expectations and experiences. In the early church, congregations banded together. Paul wrote letters to specific congregations, but he intended them to share those letters with other congregations. When he was taking up an offering for the congregation in Jerusalem, he asked other congregations to participate. He even added a touch of healthy competition between some of them to see who could excel in giving. While this section is too limited to chronicle the development of denominations across Christendom, it is to say that within the denominationalization of Christianity, there is a necessity of local congregations working with other congregations. Just as a congregation needs different members to make up a body, so no one congregation is complete by itself. Congregations need other congregations for partnerships and strategic alliances for kingdom stability and expansion. There are two filters that congregations can use to sort through which other congregations make the most sense for joint efforts. One filter is location. It makes sense for congregations to work together with other congregations in close proximity in order to share ministry in that wider community. For obvious reasons, it's easier to work with a congregation that's down the road than one that's across the country. A second filter is theological perspective. It is no surprise that within Christianity there are different theological points of views and histories. Every congregation teaches from a theological and historical position. Technically, there is no such thing as a non-denominational congregation. Congregations may be independent, not part of a wider network of congregations, but they are in fact connected to a denominational perspective. Because of divergent theological backgrounds, it can be easier and less contentious to work with a congregation that shares the same understanding about, say, baptism, communion, the Bible, and so on, than with a congregation that holds antithetical views. Our congregation indeed works together with other local congregations, but it is also part of a national church body. We are joined with 6,000 other congregations which share the same theological and historical point of view. Together, the congregations of our church body join forces and resources to train future pastors and church workers publish books and study materials, work on combined mission work across the nation and across the world. Like life within a congregation, life within a church body enables us to do more together than we could do on our own. With such a fellowship comes responsibilities. If we are to be part of a national church body, we need to participate. Our congregation needs to be prepared to be engaged in 
whatever organization and activities that are associated with membership in the church body. We should not see things like these as a drain on our resources or the perpetuation of a church hierarchy. Such partnership serves as an affirmation that we are part of something bigger than ourselves, a movement, a kingdom, the body of Christ working together with others as strategically as possible to further the kingdom of God on earth. As a leader within your congregation, you need to be prepared to work both with other local congregations and with congregations from a larger church body or association. One more thing. Over the last 30 years, many independent congregations, so-called non-denominational congregations, have started to develop their own networks of like-minded congregations, either locally with multi-site ministries or regionally with strategic alliances. It turns out that non-denominational congregations are neither non-denominational nor independent. See, the church is incurably congregational and incurably synodical. Let's make the most of both realities. It is part of the path toward significance. Part 3 on supporting your pastor. While I would never say that being a pastor is the hardest job in the world, I would certainly assert it's not an easy one. It is also one that, when done well, becomes a great blessing to many. Hebrews 13.17 speaks about supporting your pastor. Obey your leaders and submit to them, for they are keeping watch over your souls, as those who will have to give an account. Let them do this with joy and not with groaning, for that would be of no advantage to you. Well, how might you support your pastor? For a little experiment, I asked some pastors I know what helps them. Here are the top three responses. First, send a note. Drop your pastor a written note of encouragement. Pastors appreciate knowing that, by God's grace, they are making a difference in the lives of God's people. Send a note about how you have been blessed by the work of your pastor. Maybe something that was said in a sermon, a point in a Bible study, or some other specific action he took. The more specific, the more helpful. A second response was, offer up prayer. No surprise, pastor said they appreciated hearing that their people are praying for them. This is actually a double action. It helps your pastor to be prayed for, even if he doesn't hear about it. Someone has said, if you want a good sermon on Sunday, pray for your pastor the other days of the week. Your prayers, in a mysterious way, make a difference. A double blessing occurs when you let your pastor know about your prayers on his behalf. This, too, helps in a mysterious way. The third was, show up. This response, which in a way caught me by surprise, revolved around the encouragement of presence. It brings supportive encouragement when you actually show up at stuff, worship, Bible study, assorted ministries and activities. I have often kidded that you are not a real church worker until you have organize something that nobody showed up for. 
That might make your pastor a real church worker, but it won't encourage him much. Showing up for stuff will. To these three supportive actions, I would add a fourth. Once in a while, say yes to something when you would rather say no. Trust me, your pastor is saying yes to lots of things to which you would rather say no. This is not to say you always have to say yes. Oftentimes, no is the right response. But once in a while, surprise them. I should mention something that wasn't mentioned. Not one of my friends mentioned that what would really encourage them was more money. While we are way past the days of keeping pastors poor to keep them humble, trust me, we aren't in it for the money. Making it an ongoing aim to encourage and support your pastor, positioning him for joy and not groaning, will make him a better shepherd and speed you on your path towards significance. Part 4 on Weekly Worship Do you plan to worship this Sunday? What goes into that determination? Is it a foregone conclusion that when Sunday comes, you will be found in worship? Or do you weigh things before you make your way to worship? Do the kids have a game this Sunday? Is the press of yard work or shopping greater? Has it been a long week and finally you have a day to sleep in? Is this the beginning of a hunting or fishing season? Are you away on vacation? Does it depend on need? If so, whose need? And when do you decide? Do you decide on Sunday that you will worship again the next Sunday? Do you decide Monday when you review the week's calendar and find that the kids have a game that Sunday? Do you decide Friday as you sort out the weekend? Or do you decide Sunday morning depending on which side of the bed you get up on? Let me encourage you right now to decide not just about this next Sunday, but every single Sunday for the rest of your life. Decide now that you will worship Jesus in a congregational setting weekly for the rest of your life. Such a decision Deciding for weekly worship prioritizes your walk with Jesus. Even a cursory reading of the scripture informs the follower of Jesus that gathering with other believers weekly to learn from and offer praise to God is central to a relationship with him. Sabbath keeping keeps Jesus as the priority of your week, work, and world. Jesus invites, seek first the kingdom of God. Yahweh calls, you have no other gods before me. Worshiping every week is a primary way to keep that priority. Deciding for weekly worship also simplifies other calendar issues. The world around you exerts pressure to intrude into and fill up your calendar. Appointments, works, games, parties, chores. People are busy. People and they all say it, are too busy. By having a standing appointment to meet with Jesus and his people in a weekly worship, you have a healthy filter to simplify the rest of your week. You can say no, or at least not now, to any number of things because you have cleared out time for worship. Keeping this space in the week open for God 
will filter out other clutter and distractions. This will help cure you from being too busy. Deciding for weekly worship also coincides with God's good desire for you. God wants good things for you. That's why he sent Jesus. He wants you to have life and that more abundantly. So from the beginning, he established a day of rest and refreshment in him. To take time weekly for corporate worship will bring supernatural refreshment, strength, direction, and joy. While such things may be hidden under sermons that go on too long or beneath songs that are difficult to sing or behind other people who are less than perfect, God invites you to weekly worship for good. Deciding for weekly worship stabilizes your local congregation. People misidentify what makes Christmas Eve or Easter Sunday so powerful. It's not the music, although we pull out all the stops. It's not the message. Every service focuses on the love of God in Christ Jesus. It's the people. Or more precisely, it's the number of people. Everyone's there. It's a crowd. Can you imagine if that were the case every Sunday? What if we all cleared out our schedules, not just for Easter and Christmas, but for every Sunday and joined for worship? Your congregation would experience vitality, strength, and mission momentum. A broad-based culture of weekly worship will bring great stability to your congregation. Deciding for weekly worship enriches your relationship with Jesus and his kingdom. Have you heard this? You have to get together to be together. It applies specifically to families, but also to all relationships. The idea is that if a family wants to be close-knit, supportive of one another, resilient in times of trouble, in a place of joy and laughter, that family needs to spend time together. You will notice that the families that are the closest are the ones that tend to eat dinner together nightly. They spend time together. So also with Jesus and the kingdom. When we get together with him every Sunday through his word and sacrament, in fellowship with his body, a local congregation, we will have an ever richer relationship with him. We will be together. Yes, if you're sick, stay home. One good result of COVID-19 is that now nearly every congregation can provide a worship experience for those who are physically unable to join for worship. Let this be a stopgap resource and not the rule. But if there's a league that has Sunday morning games, find a different league or sport. If there are chores to be done or work tasks that need addressing, let them simmer on the back burner for a while. If you are out of town or on vacation, plan ahead to visit a congregation near your location. If the desire for sleep or relaxation looms large, know that you will ultimately find greater refreshment in your local congregation's worship than at St. Mattress. I hope you have found this episode of Toward Significance helpful to you in your walk with Jesus. Thank you for listening. If you'd like to know more about this ministry, go to www. 
TowardSignificance.com or feel free to email me at ddavis at TowardSignificance.com.